Hello, world. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz coming to you after the Masters and Hideki Matsuyama makes history, becoming the first male Japanese golfer to win a major championship. What a performance it was, Sleaze. Yeah, dude. I mean, we said going into last week, you and I both thought this might be the most wide open Masters we could remember in a long time. We expected a jammed leaderboard, a lot of the top players playing so well going into this thing. And uh, we were right until about Saturday after the rain delay. And from that point on, Hideki put his foot down and I mean, really made this thing, um, you know, wasn't in question for a long time until it was again. But he played great. And uh, I, I just thought, it got a lot closer than I thought at the end there. We got a little brief, you know, moment of excitement there with Xander and then that went away and then Hideki continued to back up and all of a sudden Will Zalatoris only finishes up one behind him at the end, which I couldn't believe after, you know, Will didn't have his best day on the on the greens yesterday, but fun masters, fun to see Augusta back with some fire in it, dude. I mean, you were down there on property. You got to see the place for the first time. I thought the golf course played unbelievable, perfect, but challenging these guys all week, but not ever get going over the line and, and getting kind of Mickey Mouse like we've seen with some USGA events in the past. Yeah, it was really firm on Thursday. It was fun to watch the guys, you know, really have to battle and think their way around Augusta National. Uh, Justin Rose got off to an unreal start with that 65. Um, something I, for me being out there, I definitely didn't see something like that. But then, you know, it kind of softened up as the week went on. Obviously, it was very unfortunate that they had the weather delay on Saturday. But that's where Hideki Matsuyama really separated himself. Shot that seven under par 65. Then, you know, got off to a really nervy start on Sunday on the first hole, but then just got it together and put on an absolute clinic. Had a five-shot lead with nine holes to play. Everybody's like, this thing's over. But, hey, you look back to 2016, Jordan Spieth, same situation. You know, obviously ended up not winning the golf tournament. And here's Hideki, just looked, you know, in total control. Couple couple slip-ups here, but more just great play from Xander Schauffele, making four birdies in a row, 12 through 15, and then just – you know, a shot that just you can't afford to hit in the situation. You know, with the 16, he's got the famous back left hole location where you can use the slope. He pulls it left in the water, makes triple bogey, and that was pretty much it. I mean, I know Will Zalatoris ended up losing by a shot, but it was really never that close. Um, you know, you got to tip your cap to Hideki. That's awesome. Awesome for him. Awesome for Japan. I mean, he was already a superstar over there, but now it's he's, he's at a whole other level. Yeah, it's going to get to Elvis levels over there from everything that I'm reading and how big, you know, those Japanese stars are over there. But you were, you were there. You got to cruise around the place for the first time. Did it live up to the hype, everything you expected it to be? Oh, it was an unbelievable week. I had so much fun. It was so cool to walk around that golf course. I think I walked it probably three or four times total. Um, it was It's a special, special place. I was so happy to finally step on the grounds of Augusta National, and everyone was so nice. You know, I talked to a lot of the members, um, obviously a lot of the patrons. Everyone was so nice, supportive of everything we're doing. And it was it was a special week. I'm, I mean, thankful to, to CBS for letting me, you know, be on the grounds and participate in the broadcast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I want to ask you, because you mentioned Thursday. It was awesome. I mean, Thursday was like, this is how I would draw up a Masters. The, the scoring average was like 74 or thereabouts. 12 guys under par it looked so so tough out there but yet there were still good good scores to be had like you said justin rose went out and went ham that day which was unbelievable round of golf then we got the then we got the rain a little bit um then you know the following day and then the weekend a little bit softer still firm do you think that's where augusta wanted it like at, at that level because i felt like they could have pressed it maybe a little bit more on the weekend but they didn't and maybe just out of fear for we don't want this thing to get too weird out there well thursday was getting borderline uncomfortable i mean what justin rose did was it was ridiculous. awesome i mean if you if you missed your spot where you're trying to land your iron shot just by a couple of yards you were getting punished and it was going off the green or 
God knows where. Um, and I think they panicked a little bit. You know, the weather kind of changed. It got a lot more humid throughout the week, which keeps the moisture in the greens. Um, but, you know, they have sub air there, so they could have turned it on. But, you know, I think they got a little nervous. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was as firm as I've ever seen it. The greens were brown on Monday. So, yeah, I think they might have panicked just a little bit. They didn't want it to get crazy soft, and they didn't want it to get crazy firm. But I thought it was an awesome test. You know, if you, if you played some really good golf, you got rewarded. If you didn't, you got punished, and that's how it should be. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, what, 10 under par wins the golf tournament? That's pretty much, I think, perfect for a major championship, in my opinion. I just thought Thursday, I was like, oh, my God, if this stays like this the entire week, th these dudes are going to be fried by the time they get out of there. But it was fun, man. Matsuyama gets it done. First major, Xander right there. Jordan Spieth, shockingly, in the mix once again at Augusta National. I mean, the guy, it, it's it's weird, you know, rewind five, six months ago, and all the conversation was, is Jordan, you know, when's he going to be back? When's he, you know, why aren't you asking him the questions about his slump? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, six top tens in the last eight events, contending pretty much for the last month straight. Uh, it's it's fun watching Jordan do Jordan things around Augusta. Because there's a few Jordan moments there where, it, like, you know, a couple of the chip-ins and things like that. I was like, this might be this might be the week he does it. Yeah, he just I think he lost it on Saturday with the putter. He really struggled, lost a few strokes and strokes gained putting and just, you know, never got it rolling like we're normally used to seeing Jordan Spieth. But – you know, he, he played great. I mean, he's had a really long stretch of golf here. He admitted to being a little tired, but, you know, ended up tying for third, which I know is not what he wants, but still it's a step um, it's a step in the right direction. But, man, Hideki Matsuyama, what a, what a week. It's so cool for him. I mean, here's a guy who, other than Tiger Woods, I don't know if anybody has to answer to the media more than he does. You know, he's got just a mob of media members um, following him around. You know, he's got the weight of a whole country on his shoulders. So I think this week was just such a big relief. And he admitted, you know, because of COVID, a lot of the media members from Japan couldn't come over. He didn't have to do near as many interviews, entertain near as many people, and it was a lot more relaxing for him. But he went out and got it done, and now he is the man in Japan. And how about the way he got it done? Like, we know Hideki's a great ball striker. Tita Green, he's been unbelievable basically since he came out, since he was, you know, a rookie out there. But he did it this week, I thought – Putting and scrambling. I guess putter was was good enough, clearly good enough, and his scrambling was unbelievable. Like I'm not used to thinking Roy, Mac, or excuse me, Hideki Matsuyama, and thinking of a short game. And this week it was a joke how good it was. Yeah, the up and down on 13, I thought was clutch when he almost flew it in the in the azaleas. You know, it comes back, made that chip shot look rather easy. You know, even the bunker shot on 18, I was just I was he hit the terrible pitching wedge after just a great <laughs> tee shot. You know, all you gotta do is hit the green, three putts, this thing's over. He misses it in the right bunker. I'm like, uh, fat this one, leave it in the bunker, maybe catch it a little thin with the nerves, go over the go over the green. You know, Will's Alatoris might not be out of this thing, but just an awesome bunker shot, awesome short game all week, something he's not known for, like you said. Really put on a clinic around the greens and he was a deserving champion. It's it was really cool to see the emotion from Hideki. Dude, I'm glad you mentioned that about the shot on 18 and blowing it in the bunker. I was thinking that same thing. I was like, all right, if this is me, I mean, it's a chunk and run. It's not that hard of a bunker shot, but I'm like, all right, so I overchunk it and I leave it in here. Now I got to get up and down or I knife it and send it into the, the patrons and the shot on 15 too, after he hit it in the water long, he had that thing laid wide open. I was like, God, if this lands on the green, he could be chipping it back into the water. Then he's got some real decisions to make. I was, I'm glad to hear that you were thinking kind of the same things. I was like, this thing ain't done in my world right here. This is chunk or knife city. Yeah, I thought he could have put it away a few times, but in the end, he got <laughs> it done, and awesome for him, awesome for Japan. Um, that's a big deal over there. I mean, the Masters is huge in Japan. Golf is huge in Japan, and for him to get be the first male to win a major championship is really, really cool. But, Sleaze, we got to get to our, our man this week, a man who's played Augusta National a number of times. He's the legend. Larry Fitzgerald sits down with us.
a man who knows what it's like to get a lot of media attention, especially in this town. Larry Legend, Larry Fitzgerald in the house. We got to play some golf with him the, the week prior, so let's see what that game was looking like. We get into a lot of things with the man. We get Pebble Beach, you know, the two-time champs there with uh, Kevin Streelman. We get into a little football. You guys, you'll, you'll hear what we talk about there, but there's just no, like, this, I feel like we're beating a dead horse and we're kind of saying the cliche thing. There's not a better dude in the world. It's almost like the first time I met him a number of years ago, and I got done with the conversation. I was like, is this, is this really you? Are you really this nice? Or is this some sort of an act or whatever? And it turns out it, it is actually genuine. And he is just one of the best guys. And like, I feel like we're, like I said, beating a dead horse, but it's real. Yeah. I, I tell everyone he's the nicest man I've ever met, ever met. So let's get to it. Here's Larry Fitzgerald on golf subpar. All right. Our guy here today has so many NFL awards and records, it would take about half the show to get through them all. So we'll just leave it at one of the greatest wide receivers to ever play the game of football. But more impressively, single-handedly has carried Kevin Streelman to two AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am <laughs> victories. Larry Fitzgerald in the house. Good to be with you. Glad to be with you guys as well. I appreciate you having me. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you could squeeze us in in between golf rounds. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a man on the planet that plays more golf than you. I don't know about that. I know a few guys that, that definitely play more golf than me, but I, I, I do enjoy the game. It's something that brings me a lot of joy. Um, the thing I most enjoy about it is just the people you're able to meet, the relationships you're able to build, and, um, you know, you never see anybody unhappy on the golf course every time, no matter what you shoot, you know, you frustrated from from time to time, but you're never like unhappy. I like it. Yeah. Well, tell us what, what drew you to the game of golf? Cause you haven't been playing that long. Yeah. I've been playing about seven, eight years. One of my former teammates who now plays currently for the Houston uh, Texans, Andre Roberts was like, man, Fitch, you got, you got to try something. All you do is sit at the house and, you know, do this and that. You got to, you got to try something different. And I was like, man, I'll, I'll try it. So I went out to this little charity event, I played like a dog, but I hit a couple shots and I hit a couple. I compressed it and like still to this day, there's nothing better than a compressed golf ball going in the direction that you want. Like there's no better feeling. And uh, I did it. And ever since then, I've been completely hooked. Awesome. Yeah, you play tons. We were just talking before the show and you're like, oh, when are you playing next? Oh, a couple hours from yeah. now. So you get out there and go. What what you used to do with your free time before golf came along? Nothing productive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing productive. Wasted a whole lot of time. It's frustrating that I've been here. 17 years it'd be 18 years in april and i only been playing golf for um you know eight of the years i've been here which is frustrating i, I wasted eight years of the best golf in the world and uh you know so i can never get that back so i still kick myself for not playing earlier well, you're, you're at a plus three right now yeah starting which, early yeah. <laughs> i looked up you are a 4.8 index right now yeah so not too bad but we got to talk a little bit about your member at Whisperock, where mm -hmm. we all play about your process of joining there and the deal Greg Trias, the owner, made with you. So uh, about seven years ago, I've been playing for about you know six months or so, and, a, and another Whisper Rock member, a guy by the name of John Langbine, local member here, he was really close with Greg, and he called Greg on a conference call, and I said, hey, Mr. Trias, hey, I, I know I've met you a couple times in passing. I really would love to, the opportunity to join Whisper Rock, and he said, there's no way in hell you're joining my club. <laughs> I heard about how you play, and I'm not playing behind somebody that hits it all over the place. It's gonna make me wait, you know, from shot to shot. So until you until you break ninety, you don't have a you don't have a chance of ever joining any club I'm associated with. I'll see to it that it won't happen. <laughs> and so, you know what? Just like any competitor, he he lit a fire under me, and I went to work. I worked hard, tirelessly, and I was up to hitting balls over at at Ganey Ranch and all these different places trying to get my game together. And I remember. I was playing over at McCormick um, and I hit iron 
iron off every single tee because that's the only thing I could like keep somewhat in in the general vicinity of straight and I, I shot my little 89 and I was ecstatic as soon as the round was over I called him and Mr. Tria said cut the check I'm a man of my word you can you can come on in that is awesome yeah. how was it yeah. closing out that round yeah. knowing like all right gotta get in an 89 and this thing's done you know the worst thing for me is ever to know what I'm what I, where I'm at I never I don't like to carry the scorecard or you know I'd like to add them up in my head after the round i never like to know like hey bro all you need to do is make par par and you'll and you'll shoot 89 I don't, that that's that's the worst that's the kiss of death yep. you know i'm a for sure going to make a five on one hole and you know what i mean and so i did never wanted to know what i was and john told me larry you, you did it and uh, we added them up stroke by stroke every single hole and I was able to do it. I was I was one of the happier days of my life. I mean, what a man of <laughs> man of your word you are. Cause I mean, you easily could have just been like, oh hey Greg, I shot eighty eight today. No. That's awesome. I love that you went out there and you grinded it out and got it done. No, you guys both play professionally and and something that you don't ever do is you don't you don't lie on the golf course. You don't cheat you don't cheat the game. It's something that just it's that's bad karma. And still to this day, man, I I mean I I sometimes would take a double when it was really a, a X, you know what I mean? But I can't take any more based on my handicap anyway, so it doesn't make any sense to add them up. But, you know, I, I always say what I had, and, you know, I'm usually keeping count of the guys I'm playing with, too. I like that. Yeah. I like that. You, you said seven, you've been playing seven, a little over seven years now. What's low round so far for Larry Fitzgerald? I've shot 70 uh three three times 73 times yeah i'm not just what? i can't I, I just for some i can't get i can't get past it it's been killing me it's been desert killing golf because your it's, strength like you hit it far you do a lot of yeah. things good but desert golf you hit one out like you hit a couple crooked ones it's, it's double basically i can score you know like good round like i've made i've made eight birdies in a round before i mean like i can score i just i'm always prone for that double i just don't know when it's gonna happen and it could be something as stupid as uh Leave it right in the right place and blade it across the green into it into the you know like just something stupid and then the tee ball you know sometimes gets a little sporadic on me. We we played the other day and you were one under through eight. You were playing great, yeah. and then you get to like the thirteenth hole and you hit it out of play and you're like, see, this is what happens every time. It's almost like you're just waiting on it to happen. It, 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 I know it's going to show up at some point, right? Like, I, it, it doesn't it, have to. You can go the whole day without it. I would love for it not to. I would love for it not to. If I could just keep the driver and the three wood in play consistently, I, I feel like I'll be solid. Because from like 115, I feel like I'm out of I'm out of one. You know, you chip it unbelievable. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm solid around the greens, and if I'm if I'm putting decent, I, I can I can get it. I can fill it up. Is that part of the reason why you and Streels are such a beast at Pebble? Because like you get to play up tees, you don't have to hit driver if you don't need to, so you can hit irons, you keep it in play, and then you go out there and you can shoot some some digits out there. Well, Streels is the model of consistency. Like he never makes big numbers. You know, he he hits the driver straight as a needle. I mean, he puts the ball on, on the green. You know, if he's putting it good, he's gonna be in contention. He's gonna be he's gonna be playing well because his driver literally does not move. I mean, he where he aims it is it usually goes, and so I know I just need to chip in on my shot holes. Make a couple net uh, net birdies. I'll make a couple natural birdies, and he's gonna do his thing. I mean, and out there, I played with him uh, five years. Strills never finished outside of the top twenty-seven any time we've ever played. So he just has a good feel for those courses. He he, he just he's comfortable there. I don't know what it is. He just he's always he always plays well. So I just gotta do my job. What's the difference? Because y'all won there twice. So you mm -hmm. obviously have huge success. But you play with him at home. Is it any different playing with him at home versus playing with him at AT and T? No, he's still talking shit. You know, <laughs> still messing with me. And I love Strills to death, man, because he's one of those guys that I mean, you guys play professionally, and playing with guys who are just now beginning, it's not enjoyable when you're looking for balls in the desert, and you know, 
like when you guys are are not doing that. Your balls are going where you would want them to go. And so I remember when I first got into the club and I met him, he, he would play with me and he he would give me literally, you know, 18 shots and, you know, take money from me every single time. And now, you know, it's all the way down to about, you know, three, three aside now, you know, Ooh, so like it's, so it's get it's getting lower and lower and, and hopefully I can whip his ass, you know, mano <laughs> a mano here. We're you know, well, you owe yeah. him a little We're payback because he came on this show and we asked him, if you had a ten footer save his life, who would he pick? You or Brian Erlacher? And he went against you, dude. That's okay. Like Lack does make some good putts, so you know, playing <laughs> that nasty cut he hits, you know. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a little quick. Yeah. Uh, it's a little quick, but that you gotta let that little hitch in there for, for a big fella. Uh, how did how did y'all's partnership because clearly you play we all play at the same club, so you can meet Kevin out mm-hmm. there, but how did the partnership for AT&T start? Who recruited who who? Did he go to you and be like, Larry, I want you to play? Or were you like, hey man, I'd love to get in that? Pro-Am. Well, so Mr. John, who runs the Monterey uh, Peninsula Foundation, you know, a former Whisper Rock member, um, asked me if if I wanted to play with Kevin, you know, knowing that we had history and also um, just my familiarity and comfortability with him. And so it was it was a great, it was great, you know, because Strills is like this. I mean, the temperament, good, bad, or indifferent, he's always the same guy. It makes it a lot of fun. Um, he's so well-respected out there on tour, you know, in, in his station, you know, as a um, what was his position at the PGA? Players advisory, Play, Players advisory council. I mean, so he's got a great understanding of the game, um, the relationship with sponsors, just etiquette and how he carries himself on a daily basis really suited me. And, and I think that uh, really helped me just to feel comfortable when I was playing the tournament. What are the nerves like for you that week? Because, I mean, obviously you don't play golf professionally, but you've been very successful at that event. Mm-hmm. You get nervous? No, I, yeah, I get a little nervous. I get a little nervous. There's no, there's no question about that, but – it's liberating and freeing to know that you have somebody who does it for a living. And for the most part, you just got to contribute a little bit. He's never going to be out of the hole. You know, we, I, whenever I have my bad holes, he always makes par, you know. So it's like, this is no stress at all. And that, and that makes it a lot more comfortable. What about when you hit it a little offline and you get the galleries racing over to the ball and they form that little tunnel to watch you hit? <laughs> Something's got to come up at that point, I would think. You know, the thing I'm most proud about, I've never hit a spectator before in any oh, nice. any cool. events. And uh, I always worry about that, you know, because fans stand entirely too close at that tournament. I, I just like, look, I know that guy might be a CEO of a Fortune 200 company, but I would not bet on him hitting every single fairway. <laughs> so you should back up a little bit, you know. Yeah. And um, and so it's, it's cool. But I, I've hit some over in some different places, but I've never actually hit anybody. So that that's comforting. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your ball comes off a little faster than a lot of guys yeah. too. So <laughs> they definitely need to back up. But let's talk a, bit, a little bit about your relationship with Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. I know y'all become good friends over yeah. the years. You played much golf with him? Yeah, I played golf with him uh, a few times and, you know, more so just, just talking and getting advice and getting some guidance. You know, he's, he's a unbelievable wealth of knowledge in terms of just dealing with celebrity and living in the spotlight. I mean, he's been in the spotlight since he was three years old, um, played in the biggest, most pressure cooking things, um, you know, dealt with, you know, personal life issues. You know, I mean, he's he's kind of touched all the bases and has, has unbelievable insight. And so, you know, I always pick his mind about those type of things. He's been a, he's been a great friend and mentor. And, and I just always, you know, want the best for him. I'm glad he's been able to get back home and, be able to rest comfortably, and um, you know, I just hope that you know he's he's making a speedy recovery. You guys keep in constant contact, like we text him, reach out, if, yeah. like after he wins a tournament or, or something like the the accident. Yeah, I, I've talked to him a couple times, you know, since since the accident, and um, you know, he's, he seems to be in good spirit. 
and uh, and I try not to bother him. I know he's he's got a lot going on, and um, and I try not to be a, a burden. And uh, but I, I would always check on him, make sure he's good. That's awesome. Well, a place that's very special to him, and I know special to you, Augusta National. Mm-hmm. You recently went and played. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about it. You, how many times you played? Oh, I played it a couple times. Just a couple. You can't even <laughs> say it's a straight I played it a couple times, and I and I every time you play it is is one of those places where you're just truly a privilege to be not only play the golf course but to be on the grounds when you when you come in there and every single detail is just so immaculately done. I mean, from the the green curbs. I mean, not a chip of paint ever out of place. No no leaves on the ground. I mean, it's just. It's unbelievable to see the level of detail that's done there, and you know, the, from the food and the, and the hospitality, the service, the accommodations. I mean, it's just it's a golf mecca for a reason. And right. and I, I know, remember the first time I played it, I came in and I was just elated. You know, just had never been to the tournament before. That was literally my first time on property. It was the first time I played it, and I'm driving down. And I'm like a kid, and you know, just with my fingers on the window, just looking out <laughs> um, and, and everything. I, so I'm feeling this this overwhelming just sense of gratitude. And then I remember I, I had a complete opposite feeling walking up 18. Like I was depressed walking up 18 it's over, yeah. because it's because it's almost over and you never know if you'll ever be able to have the opportunity to come back again. And so like, like I remember putting out on 18 and I'm, I'm shaking everybody's hand and I got my hand in my, in my head like, <laughs> Damn, I gotta go home now. You know emergency I mean? nine, yeah. emergency yeah. nine, fellas. What do you say? <laughs> That's so, so cool. Yeah, What's was, your lowest up there? I have shot eighty a couple of times. Okay, never, right. never, 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 never broke eighty. All those right to left holes, not ideal for that little little butterfly. No, you like no, to feel out I there. know. Ten eats me up. Uh, three eats me up. I, I, I just don't know how to play that hole. I mean, a hit driver right up there, short of the mound, and then. And blade it over the back of the green, <laughs> or chip it up into the hill, and it doesn't come back down. You know that that hole eats me up. Um, What's your favorite hole on property? Seven, I would say, is my really? my favorite. Yeah, because I drove that green one time. You drove seven? Yeah, I drove the green. Yeah, yeah oh I was. God. Yeah, so that was a, that was a that was a fun one. Those muscles ain't just for look, dude. No, those no, those things are those things are functional. No, they functional. What sure. you travel a ton too? I think I read you've been over like a hundred countries. Mm-hmm. Augusta National is like the place everyone wants to go to. What are some other trips you've made with the, your favorite golf courses? Well, going to play in the old course, you know, it's like the great program is for any golfer. You go and you experience that, and everybody who's ever played the game for the last two, three hundred years has played that place and. It's majestic. It's not a. It's not a like a hard course, but so much history, so many wonderful tournaments, and great champions have played the course. And um, another place that my brother, my, not my brother, my buddy Andre, that introduced me to the game. He married an Australian girl, so you go to Australia every single year. And I don't know if you know the listeners. You definitely got to go visit Australia. You spent fifty golf. days there. One. Yeah, my first trip ever le- leaving was was to Australia, and um, you know I kind of like backpacked and road tripped it around the whole country. It was uh it was really, really an awesome experience. The people there are fantastic and so much history and getting to learn about the Aborigine culture and you know, it was it was a lot of fun. I didn't play golf at that point either. So I was really kind of just submerging myself in the culture and the cuisines and the different um experiences there. But now mostly it's just golf trips. We go watch the um the Australian Open tennis and play golf thirty six every day. It's awesome. Give me a golf course you haven't played that you want to play in a country you haven't visited. That you want to visit. Um, so I got a Jimmy Dunn is uh 
taking taking um a bunch of us over to Ireland. I've never been to Ireland, so um you know all all the courses there. I I mean I've I've studied them, looked at them, topography and all this stuff. And I'm I'm like researching places and the rain gear I need and all this stuff. <laughs> like you know, so I'm I'm really looking forward to going there. So that's been on the bucket list for a long time. Royal County down. That's the best. I I, I love it. Okay. That's where we played the Walker Cup. It's unbelievable. Beautiful. Yeah. You'll love it over there. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's some good good spot. What you've played all these great golf courses. You played with tons of cool people. Is there a person you've gotten to meet through golf that stands out to you that otherwise you maybe never would have had a chance to meet? Yeah, I mean it's a lot, a lot. But I mean, there's I'll say there's a few guys that have really kind of just opened my Greg Trees. You know, he he opened the door, let me in the Whisper Rock, and just so many great things have kind of transpired since I got into Whisper Rock. All the the great people I've been able to meet and the connections, and and that's taken me, you know, to different areas. And then, um, you know, Jimmy Dunn, and Sam Reeves, two guys that, you know, I I love dearly, have really really taken me under their wing also, and um, you know, kind of taught me the game. You know, from a different perspective that I didn't really see it. So, I mean, golf is like one of those those games that it, it just continues to like this open new doors and teach you new things, not only on the game but in terms of life. And it, it's just like one of the, you know, my, Sam Reeves is eighty seven years old, and I mean, he's still every time he plays golf with people, he's learning. You know, he's constantly asking questions and inquisitive, and it. It was just an eye-opening experience for me to see, you know, just how much you can, you can, um, you know, grow in terms of learning from the game. That's so cool. But obviously, here in Phoenix, you're you're one of the you're probably the biggest celebrity in town. But you're a guy that you still go out a lot at night. You eat dinner in public and all this. How is it for you when you go out? Do people mess with you at all? Or Mm-mm. no, I mean, I I've been I, I like to get out, so it's not I'm not like it's not an anomaly to see me out, and you know, I'm pretty personable, so you know, I chit chat with most people and. And I mean, they they treat me just like everybody else, and which is really nice, you know, because people say he's, you know, he's he's a dad and just a local citizen. And I like that, and that's what I love about Phoenix is, um, it's a really big city, but it's really small though. I mean, everybody knows each other. Um, you go to the same restaurants. You're at State Forty Four or over at the Henry or Tarbells. I mean, like every, the rest everybody, of them. everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody, everybody's there and, and enjoying it. And so, I mean, it's it's, it's a great city, and I love it. Awesome. You're almost too approachable because I know for a while there was times where you'd be walking around the mall and there might be an old lady come up and pitch you on the ass too. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little too friendly, dude. Yeah, that, that's happened on several occasions. You know, I, I give the old ladies passes though. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. that is too funny. Well, we gotta talk uh, a little bit of football. I mean, sure, one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, I, I'm always curious about draft night for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you come out, you're your superstar at Pitt. You had to, con- you had a little issue with the NFL, right? You weren't going to be allowed to go to the mm-hmm. draft in 2004 at first. Yeah. So Maurice Claret and Mike Williams, uh, Maurice Claret was at Ohio State. Mark Williams is playing wide receiver at uh, USC, and both of them were sophomores, as as was I. And um, I remember their representation got in contact with me about petitioning the National Football League, and if not petitioning you know fighting our way in and I was sitting there talking to my dad and um you know some other people are like yeah I don't know if you really want to get into a fight with the National Football yeah. League before you've actually gotten there it's probably not a a good way to to start and so we decided not to go that route we went a different route reached out to them and tried to find another way to go and technically I was a I was a three I was graduated 
2001, but I went to prep school. So I was technically three years removed from my original graduating class. And that's what essentially opened the door and allowed me to get in um, you know, after my sophomore year. So I was pretty fortunate to be able to do that and, and very lucky to be drafted here by Dennis Green and Rod Graves and Steve Kime, who was, uh, who was also here, who's the general manager now. We're all, we're all here. And it was very, um, it was comforting to kind of come in and play for a head coach that I have familiarity with. He was a head coach of Minnesota Vikings when I was a ball boy there. And, and so like it, it was a lot of familiar faces and really allowed me to kind of just spread my wings a bit. Going into that night, did you kind of know like number three at Arizona was your spot? No, because I had gotten a lot of contact from the Oakland Raiders who had the second pick. And I've been to visit them twice before the draft. And um, the general manager actually went to Valley Ford Military Academy, Mike Lombardi. Um, and so we had some a lot of dialogue prior to the draft and even draft night, we had some dialogue. So I really thought I was going to go to Oakland. And, um, and they ended up taking Robert Gallery with the second pick. And when I got to Arizona, you know, I was hoping that they would take me, and they did. Awesome. I want to go back before you got to the NFL to your high school days when you were you were ball boy for the Minnesota Vikings. You talk about that a lot. Is it true uh, you developed a relationship with Randy Moss, Chris Carter? They were like two. I mean, two of the best to ever do it. Those guys would show up to your high school football games at the time and watch you play. Yeah, man, it was crazy. I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon to to have like six or seven guys come to to one of my high school games. It was it was so cool and. You know, it just made you feel so, so loved and appreciated as a youngster. You know, you're 16 years old and so, your idols showing up to your games. I mean, Kevin Garnett would come to a game here and there. I mean, like, it was really, it was really awesome, man. Um, I, I like I had one of the best childhoods ever. And, um, you know, to be able to be able to call on those guys, pick their minds, ask them questions, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, how do I make a decision on my college choices? All of those questions, I could ask them at any point and, you know, they, they made themselves very approachable for me, and, you know, I loved it. And, um, you know, I still keep in contact with all those guys to this day. Probably doesn't hurt with the ladies when you got some of the NFL's greatest showing up to your games to watch you. <laughs> did you take – Did is it true Randy Moss lent you his car for mm -hmm. senior prom? Yeah, he let me, let me drive <laughs> his – That's it. He had the, the 740 Li uh, BMW, and I was styling and profiling, so <laughs> – That's yeah, awesome. That yeah, helps, that was too. Cool. And I didn't tell him I didn't have my license yet, but, you know, it was still cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah, great. that's. But, I mean, how cool is that though, as a kid, with your dad being a member of the media? I mean, as you said, you're you're a ball boy for the Vikings. Mm -hmm. you, you're out there shooting and warm ups with Kevin Garnett, fielding balls with Kirby Puckett, and mm -hmm. then you see Mike Madonna skating around the ice. Yeah. By the way, Mike Madonna. I mean, he did all right with the ladies up there in Minneapolis. I didn't. You know, I was a little young at that time to really know all that about that. You know, I I, <laughs> I was a good looking dude, greatest American hockey player ever born um, in the states, and. And uh, he was, he's awesome, man. I love, I love Mike. I always enjoy seeing him and catching up with him. You and a big hockey guy? I watched a lot of it. Yeah. My high school was really good. You know, um, we won two state champ, uh, I'm sorry, one state championship when I was in high school. And since then they've won a couple more. So our high school was kind of a, a juggernaut in, in, in hockey. Get to, get to your time in the league, like you, your wide receiver. Clearly, there's there's been tons of guys who are physically gifted, tall, mm -hmm. strong, athletic, and run fast, things like that. You fit that profile as well, but you've separated yourself from all those guys, become one of the best to ever do it. What do you think you do better than all the other guys who's come wide receiver before you? They have the same physical gifts. Um, you know, fortunately, fortunately, I've been able to stay injury free. That's the biggest thing you, to to play football for a long time. You have to be able to avoid, you know, the catastrophic injuries, and you know, for some reason. I've been able to do it thus far. And um, you look at Jerry Rice's and Randy Moss's and Terrell, and those guys have all been able to have long careers based on those facts. 
also you just have to have a, a desire to continue to improve. You know, once I talk to guys all the time about this, it's like once you reach a certain level, everybody that's playing your position in the league is gunning for you. They want they want what you have. So it's, it's much more difficult when you're hunted than to hunt. You know, um, you know, when you're going out there and you're chasing other people and nobody's worried about you, you know, but when you get to the top, everybody's coming for what you have. And so you have to be able to work at a level that's, you know, it's it's hard to maintain. You have to, you know, make a lot of sacrifices that other people are willing to make. You know, I turn down movie opportunities and this, that, and the third. When you get on the top, there's so many things that come, but never can come before football. And I think a lot of guys make the mistake of getting involved in a little bit too much. And it takes away from what you need to be focusing on because at the end of the day, you know, football is what butters the toast. You know, um, everything else is, is secondary because if you're not doing that, and, and yeah. you're gonna, they're gonna move on from you. And so I think that's the biggest thing is I always maintain my focus with the game. You know, there's other things I was interested in and I loved, but nothing more than what I what I wanted to do is play football. By the way, I just want to go back because I'm not gonna ask you for the answer, but you did say you've been injury free thus far. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Just Options up are to open. this point, up to this yeah. point, you did also say you were offered movies and things like that. What was there any movies that ended up coming out that you turned down that somebody else got? Um, like it's not they weren't like big roles, but just like cameo appearances oh, okay, and, and yeah. stuff. And you know, it it wasn't like a, a lot of time. You know, it'd be like, hey, you got to be in L.A. Um, in May and June for you know a couple of, like and that stuff was it was just too much or dancing with the star. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. want to do anything that would you know like just take away from my preparation. And so like nah, it, it was opportunities presented itself, but I did something that I was really, um, you know, eager, enthusiastic to do. So then they gave it to Shaq. Uh, Shaq did it. Well, Shaq, the NBA guys can do it, man. They're that, they're that, they're that skilled. But if, you, if you look at your, you know, your record page in the NFL with Arizona Cardinals, it's so long, it's ridiculous. We don't have time to go over them. But are you a guy that pays attention to records and stats and all that? No, not really. I mean, Nowadays in the social media age, it's impossible not to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you just live under a rock, you know. So, I mean, our media relations would say, "Hey, look, Larry, you need this amount of yards and touchdown, or this to to be able to to get to this milestone." So you have a general idea, but I've never been one that was crazy about individual records. You know, this is a team game. It's this is not it's not golf. You know, I'm not going out there playing by myself. Um, and it's great to have a bunch of individual records, but if you're not having sustained success as a team. You know, I mean, what are you doing it for? It's, just, um, it's about winning championships and making deep playoff runs. You know, you, you look and you just marvel at guys like Tom Brady who were able to have, you know, 22 years, 20-plus years of just dominance, you know. And, you know, you just you just don't you don't see that that often in individual sports. And it makes you it makes you work that much harder because you, you see that it's it's, cap- it's possible. It's ca- you're capable of doing things like that, but realistically it's not. But you still have to have the same mindset to go out there and approach it that way. You kept your head down, you focused, you turned down a lot of opportunities that were out there that, because of football because mm-hmm. you wanted to stay focused. So the answer to this might be nothing, but if there's one thing you could do over in your career up to this point, what would you what would you do anything different? I would have, I would have picked up the golf club a little earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's the only regret. 100% I would have done that earlier. You're, I, mean, I would have kept me... It would have kept me out a lot. I made a lot of, you know, foolish decisions and did some dumb stuff when I was young. And golf, I'd rather play golf than do anything else. You know, outside of spending time with my kids or, you know, doing those type of things, I'd rather be on the golf course. So going out to Vegas and kicking it until 5 o'clock in the morning, 
I would have had a tea time at nine, so I would have went to bed earlier. You know what I mean? Like, just those type of things, I think is great. I mean, I, I encourage like all the young guys to get into it because it really is. It takes a lot of discipline. You know, you, you're a great athlete, but that ball's not gonna move itself. And trying to get the ball to, to go in the direction you want is very difficult, and it takes a long time and a lot of effort and thousands of hours to to be able to you know even to be somewhat proficient at it. So it's a it's a it's a discipline. It's the same thing that you would do when you're running routes. And so I think it's really good if you if you can get into it early. I love how obsessed you are with the game. Is it true that you have told defensive players to hit you in the head, not the legs, because you're worried about your golf golf future? No, I didn't. I didn't. I would tell them after, you know, because it's not because of my golf future, but, you know, I wouldn't say it's the most intelligent thought process. But, you know, if you tell your knee up, you are done right now immediately and potentially your career is over. You know, you get a concussion. And the things that come from, you know, head trauma or things that are going to affect you later on down the line, you know, it's it was stupid to say, and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't say it or or advise it anymore. But you know, when I was younger, that's the way you think. Give me a helmet to helmet. Don't go down to the knee. I got yeah. I got to. Te- I'm getting yeah. up at ten thirty tomorrow, yeah. boys. Yeah. We'll stay on corners. Yeah. The guys that hit you. <laughs> Is there one in your career you faced that's been your toughest matchup? One guy that stands out. Oh, man, I, I was. Really, bums. I was really happy when Cam Chancellor retired. Yeah. yeah, I was very happy. I, I didn't. I hated to see him re- have to retire based on what happened to him. But man, he was a problem. Man, that guy was strong, strong, physical. Dude. He just made life very difficult. Very difficult. See when you might have looked out of the corner of your eye when you were going across the middle. Before. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Every snap, I find out where he's at. Man. Hey Cam, don't hit me but, in the head or the uh, knees. Just, just don't touch me at yeah, all. Yeah, just don't ever even. It was, it was like, like this guy was like made, literally made of granite, man. Oh man, what's it like playing up there in Seattle too? With the... Best at best atmosphere really? you could ever imagine. I mean, just literally on third down in the fourth quarter in close games, you you can't hear yourself think. I mean, everybody That's... is so close to each other. Just trying to, you know, get the play call and get the right formation. I mean, it's it's nothing like it, man. Nothing That's like so it. Awesome. You always hand the ball to the ref after a touchdown. Have you ever had an excessive celebration penalty in your career? No, no, never had it. I spiked it one time a couple of years ago, um, just because I I just wanted to see what it felt like. Didn't feel right at all. Uh, <laughs> but I've never got I've never got any penalties. I got a I've gotten penalties for like crackbacks and blindside shots and stuff like that, but never a celebration. Yeah, the only cool. wide receiver maybe ever. Yeah. Not getting an excessive so, I mean, you always no, Calvin, <laughs> Calvin Johnson never wasn't really all that celebratory. Um, Andre Johnson. Guys in my era, we took like a little small hiatus from, from a lot of celebration. You know, the elite guys. Now you got like the, the choreographed dances and all. Now yeah. it's getting into like dancing with the stars. You know what? I like it though. It's it's fun. It's, in, it's, it's entertaining. I mean, it brings the fans. It talk, gives them something to talk about and I like the creativity. I mean, it's it's cool. I yeah. just I just don't have the rhythm or the style <laughs> to to do some of the stuff that they do. So I that's why you didn't go on Dancing yes, with the Stars, so not because you're focused on you didn't want to get out. There. I, I have not danced since my high school prom, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. I got two <laughs> left legs. <laughs> so you always hand the ball to the ref mm-hmm. most of the time. I trust you. You ever keep any of the balls? Um, yeah. So I would keep every ten. Like if I if I reach touchdown fifty or sixty yeah. or seventy or eight, you know, like I just keep that ball. You know, so I have a trophy case. Look, I don't have anything up in my house. I have all my stuff in storage. You know, if you you came to my house, you would never know what I did. Really? Nah. That's when you know you nah. score a lot of tubs when you only keep one of every ten. We just do it in ten yeah. ten increments. No, I I mean I I just don't believe in having a bunch of stuff up in the house. 
Tell me about because you have you have 121 receiving touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You have one passing touchdown. Mm-hmm. Well, who was that to? That was to David Johnson. It was two years ago. Uh, Byron Leftwich, who is the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay Buccaneers, drew up a drew the play up. And I can throw it pretty good. Like I got a strong arm, and um, and we've been working on it for a couple of weeks. And he finally called it up, and I dropped it in there for him. What's that moment like? They're like, oh god, I can't believe they're calling this play right now. You gotta love it, that. It gives you a much better appreciation for how hard the quarterback position is. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of big guys and they're moving real quickly in your direction. And, you know, that's not always fun. You know, to be able to stand there with some composure and deliver a, an accurate throw on time is, is not is not easy. Did you play any other positions in high school? It was always wide I, out. I played quarterback early and uh, I played uh, free safety as well. So you were both sides mm-hmm. throughout high school? Yeah. You were just recruited as a wide out because I was really th- too good of an athlete not to play. I, I, had, I had a couple scholarships. A lot, a lot a lot of schools actually recruited me to play defense, you know, like Penn State and Georgia and a lot of Nebraska. A lot of schools recruited me to play on the defense side. Yeah, well, we're very glad That's you chose to play. Tough position. I'm, I'm happy as well. Exactly. All right, well, let's get into the emergency nine. Yeah, this is a little E9, which is nine quick questions, kind of random. Get to know you a little bit better. We do it with everybody. Just a little um, Larry time here. Okay. You want to lead it? You sure, yeah. It? We do ask this to everybody. Movie made about the life of Larry Fitzgerald. Pick any actor, dead or alive. Who's going to play it? I got to go with Denzel, man. <laughs> I, I, I got to <laughs> go with Denzel. Uh, you're going to have to fight Gary Woodland for him. Yeah, Gary thinks Gary Woodland picked Denzel for him, too. That'll which be, was interesting. That'd be tough. We'll, we'll <laughs> offer him both to Denzel and see which one he picks. That'd be yeah. tough. Denzel's. Easy I had choice. Idris Elba for you, who's a stud. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Mine was kind of a sad dude. one, but I think y'all kind of have the same smile and everything with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I like his swag. He was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome entertainer. Yeah. Your movie actually might have a chance of getting made. Yes. <laughs> I don't know yeah, if the Gary Woodland movie is going to get made anytime. Gary's going to have to win a few more USO. You got to do some more shit. But all right, next one. You're part owner of the Phoenix Suns, so you could probably actually make this happen. You suit up for the Suns next game. You get to play as many minutes as you want. Give me your stat line. People say, people say you could. I can, sh- I can, sh- I can shoot it. I can shoot. I can shoot it pretty good, but. There's no chance I can compete with those guys. I mean, that's a, that's a completely different. Oh, like a couple, you score? couple buckets, you know, just cherry pick like YMCA ball to hang down. I don't. I maybe maybe two points, maybe maybe two. You got to think those, too humble. No, I'm just being honest, like because I I played I played pickup with Devin and those guys before. Their their level of conditioning is out of this world. You know, if you haven't been running up and down that court and understand like what your legs feel like after about ten times of, I mean, your legs feel like jello. And to be able to jump and be able to shoot it and be able to do it against elite defenders, I'm talking about six foot seven, six foot eight wingspan like Mikael Bridges, that you couldn't. Even if you got around them, you can't get the ball in the hoop. I mean, it's just a different, different level. It would be like, you know, somebody randomly just come out and catching a pass on Patrick. Pete. It's just not going to happen. Or trying to block JJ. I mean, anybody who's elite at what they do, there's a reason why they are that that level. They're so big. You got seven footers running point guard oh, now. Oh yeah, it's, I just, mean, it's different. It's crazy. Different. At least thinks yeah. he could score. I'd probably get twenty and ten, but you know, I don't know about you. There's not, <laughs> not a chance in hell you would get sick. <laughs> You're right. You're right. All right, next one. All right, you've been in the NFL for 17 years. If at any moment you could pick any quarterback that you've played with or against to be the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, who would it be? In history, um, I mean, Joe Montana was the coolest, most collected player ever in history. I mean, you look at him in the most 
difficult Super Bowl experiences, and that guy looked like he's literally smoking a cigarette <laughs> on the on 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 the side of on the side of a road. I mean, like the chillest, most calm guy ever. I mean, he you would you would have to want to play with him. I mean, he'd make he'd make you feel that much more at ease when you look in his eyes. I thought you would have said Drew Brees because I've heard you. Think I love Drew I love Drew. I love Drew. Um, you know, but Joe. I mean, the Super Bowls and just. The unbelievable times he's had in those big games, you know, always kind of resonate with me. You might have two hundred. I thought you'd guys. pick. I thought you'd for sure pick Derek Anderson. <laughs> I, I, I had a I had a good time with Da. Me and Da. Me and Da. Da connected quite often. Actually, uh, he's the yeah. best. He'll throw yeah. you the rock too whenever yeah. you want. It. All right, next one. I assume you've met a lot or most of the people in the world that you would like to meet. But if you could spend one day with one celebrity who you have yet to meet, who would you want to spend it with? That I've yet to meet. Um, he's met everyone. Is there anyone? As a thinker. Oh, it's man. a tough question when you know everyone. That's a good point. I guess you could say if you met somebody that you just loved it and want to spend another day with them, if you met everybody. So now as I get older, it's, it's, more, it's like about the experiences. So like if I could, like Dr. King, you know, Nelson Mandela, somebody who's like laid it on the line and, and done something that really – Changes change humanity. That that's more so my speed now. Yeah, that's a powerful one. Yeah, because if you like, this thing about golf is like, golf is like the best four hour interview you can ever have. I mean, you get to spend four hours talking about any and everything you want in a very relaxed atmosphere. So, you know, like if if I could spend time with somebody, that's what I would do. Pick somebody that I was going to grow and learn from. Very very good answer. All right, next question, and I mean this: you're the nicest guy I've ever met in my life, no doubt about it. But I've heard you have been fined by the NFL, which shocked me. Mm -hmm. How many times? Um, probably five times, probably. Okay, well, I didn't know it was that many, so now it's going to be a problem. But there was one ridiculous <laughs> Jeez, one. Larry, tighten up. Which one? The socks. Yeah, they no, they they don't do that as often as they used to, but they used to find the heck out of us. Tell us about that, because I was shocked when I heard this. So the uniform etiquette is your sock has to be halfway, like halfway midpoint between your knee and your ankle. And so if it's any lower or any higher, they would fine you $5,000 for, for the infractions. And you would be amazed how many guys would get this fine every every it's week. I mean, socks, I, like. But it was just, they wanted you to look just like the mannequin. Yeah. They wanted you to look exactly the way they wanted. Now they don't stress as much as they used to on it. I have grand for my socks being a little uh, can, Try yeah. to fight it at all? Yeah, you, you could fight it. But if you were a repeat offender, you weren't getting out of it. God, are you worried that's a little bit of a black eye in your reputation as a classy guy getting fined like that? No, no. Sock violation. Yeah, like no, the Hall of Fame I, might consider I, that. I, I, try, I, I try to keep it classy, man. I try to keep it classy. Like, you do a pretty good job. They'll probably <laughs> let the sock thing slide. I got a feeling. All right. I think you have two, but correct me if I'm wrong, but which hole-in-one was more special for you? Your first one out at Whisper Rock or the one you made with President Obama at Seminole? Um, so each one was special in his own regard. You know, the thing that made my first one so special is I was with my father and my dad's been playing golf for over 40 years. He's never had a hole in one. So I skanked the six iron, like literally it might've got off the ground about this high. <laughs> yeah. And it was a back right pin. As you guys know, on seven, that's not an easy pin to get to. And it kind of like rode the contour on the hill and just kind of, I lost, I didn't see where it went. And then we got up there and it was in the hole and my dad, you know, kind of begrudgingly goes, son, Congratulations! Like I've been playing six, <laughs> yeah. six, yeah. six months, and yeah. I made my first. Oh my He's God. never, he never made one, and so he was happy for me. But he was like, "How in the fuck did he do that?" <laughs> six and I haven't made one. Yeah. So, 
that was cool to be able to do with him. And then my buddy Andre was there. Um, and so to, to be able to experience it with, with those two and then, you know, doing it with President Obama, come on, man. Like you can't, there's nobody you look up to and admire more and so nervous going out there and playing with them. And, and to be able to do that was, um, you know, a moment that you, you'll never forget. So they're both unique and um, special in their own You right. got two though, right? Total? I those three. Two. Oh, you got three? Yeah. Third's got to be a bit of a letdown after those first two, huh? Yeah, I was playing in Mountain Shadows. I don't know if you want to count it. <laughs> uh, number Number 17, and I flew it right in the hole from like 100 and 180 yards. Beautiful. No pitch mark, just dropped it. Hey, they all yeah. count. Yeah. They all count. All right, next question. Who's the most famous person to ever big time you? Interesting. Think back to maybe a singer from Minnesota. Yeah, very short, small individual. Uh, I mean, Prince didn't really big time me. <laughs> he, he didn't. He didn't really. He didn't really big time me. He just wasn't really. That was just how he was, though. You he know, as friendly as you thought he was. Gonna be. No, he definitely wasn't as friendly. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, sometimes you don't want to you don't want to meet your heroes, though, um, because what you what you kind of expect and what the pedestal you put them on is very hard to, you know, to live up to it. I heard you had and, the purple jacket rocking and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, so I went to an after school program at the high school he attended. I played basketball in the gym and the whole thing and finally got to the league and he invited us out to his spot. You know, it's, it's a great honor when you get invited to go to Paisley Park and put some of these concerts all the food and drinks, beautiful women, the whole nine. And I'm backstage and, you know, he had this like cold purple thing that he, you know, if he was out, you know, you have to stand against the wall and not make eye contact. And I'm like, this is, this is strange, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's and, some weird stuff. you know, and somebody introduced me say, and I, and I told him, Hey man, I, I go to this school program at Central and they tell us stories about, you know, if I worked hard, I might be able to have success with you. And I looked at me and said, it's cool and kept it moving. You know what I mean? Like, and I thought I was that guy. You know, I had a couple of Pro Bowls under my belt, and now I was a <laughs> Minneapolis native. And I realized that I, no, nah, I really wasn't that guy. And Very so disappointing. I, so I don't know if he really big time because everybody else that was there, he kind of like it was beneath him. That's so. just how he is. Yeah. If you got instructions before you go meet somebody, chances are it's going to be a weird interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Here's my, what you do. A Michael Jackson interaction was even more weird than that with the Beverly Wilshire years back and. I was there for um, the ESPYs, and he was up in this big suite. Me and uh, a couple other guys that were brought up there, you know, he was like, hey, Michael, this is a couple guys playing the National Football League. And he was literally behind the curtains in the, in the hotel, and he was just mesmerized by the texture of the fabric of the, of the, of the, of the window coverings. And, you know, I was like, yeah, it's, that's pretty bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mike, it was nice to meet you. Hey, yeah, it's yeah, nice. Yeah, it's nice, nice. Good catching like, up. So, like the two greatest musicians of my era, right? Yeah. You know, a little different. You yeah, know, just a little, little, little different. But I still love their music. Got a lot of respect for what they were able to accomplish. You know, the greatest in history. Two hundred years from now, they'll still be talking about those guys. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Text All right, friends. See you later. Yeah, Good yeah, talking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, next one. In college. Right, this is a true or false, okay? In college, did you ever turn off any of your quarterback's alarm clock so they would oversleep and possibly miss class? 100% I did that. I did. I, <laughs> my, my college roommate, Tyler Palco, who's also a member of Whisper Rock and my locker mate, you know, he's like the most type A personality you will ever meet. So anything that I can do to like mess up his 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 flow, I mean, he's got a, we, we're planning a member guest next week. I cannot tell you how many times he's asked me 
you know, hey, um, does it matter what 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 service we use? Can we use Toro? Um, do, do you want to go Hertz? Like, I don't care. Just get a get a car. All right, just, just get the car. And uh, do you want me to drive? It doesn't matter, Tyler. It doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. who drives the car. You know, um, is your flight getting at 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 six thirty or or six four? Doesn't matter. Just, just be here when I get there. You know, like I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not detail oriented in any of that stuff. And so anytime I can mess the schedule up, I'm doing it. You know, so I'm make. Uh, I bet you drove him crazy. In yeah. Oh man, I used to kill him, man. You said you used to snatch his car too in the take, morning and take, take it. Take so his, you have take, to wake take, up and take, be no car. Take his car, <laughs> turn his alarm clock off. Uh, I got another story I got to tell you guys off 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 air. You know, <laughs> it was it was great, man. We had some good times in school. Yeah, he's like the yeah. mon- These are my Monday socks. These are my Tuesday socks. Oh, and man. if they get flip flop, the week's done. Oh man! And then he was then he wouldn't talk to me for like you know a couple days. <laughs> he still that. throw it to you though. Of course. Yeah, you know, ain't no he, He's not crazy now. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> All right, number nine. We mentioned earlier you won the Pebble Beach Pro Am twice with Kevin Streelman, but did you really abandon him for six holes? In the middle of the tournament round. Yes, I did. Um, so before I got my invitation to play that year, you know, it's one of those things you kind of wait in the mail for to send this really cool invitation. I hadn't gotten it yet, and so the Coyotes asked me if I would drop the puck. There was a Larry Fitzgerald bobblehead night, and playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and got a chance to you know meet Malkin and and, and Sidney Crosby for the first time, and, and so like I committed to it, and I got the invitation, and I told Mr. John, say, look. Appreciate this invitation, but I've already committed to dropping the puck, so I need to I need to get back. So we're on number number twelve, right? Number thirteen. Thirteen. I hit my shot, played a hole, and I just duck off to the road, jump in the car, take me to the airport, fly in, drop the puck, jump back on the plane, and, and get back. And Strills goes two under on the way home. No, and for we, we make we make the cut. And then we got the dub on on Sunday. Were you looking at your phone the whole way? Like, the whole way, Kevin. Just please don't make Refresh. phone. The whole, the, whole, the whole way. But he was hitting it so good that day, you know. And he's used to playing by himself in these tournaments anyway, so I, I don't think it really changed anything for him. Yeah, make when, him you, when you got back, just give him a big hug. It's like, oh, oh yeah, because we stay we stay together every every time we go play. We always stay in the, stay in the same house and you know eat eat the meals and watch watch the basketball games. Hopefully, there's a Duke game on that they can lose, and so. <laughs> You know, we all, we all, man, I love that dude, man. That's my guy. That's awesome. Well, Larry, yeah. dude, this has been a blast, man. Thank oh, you yeah, so we much. Thank Absolutely. You time, I appreciate man. you guys having me. Look yeah, forward to you. playing soon. I look forward to it as well. Dude, that's great. Yeah. And that was Larry Fitzgerald on Golf Subpar. Sleaze, I mean, awesome for him to take the time, come down, sit down with us here for an hour. I had a blast with him. I know that, I mean, one of the, he's a golf freak, and it's so cool. He gets so excited when he talks about golf. Yeah, it's funny, like, you get, like, non-golfers talking about golf, and they light up. You get golfers talking about non-golf stuff, and they light up. Clearly, Larry loves it. His game is nice. Like I said, we played with him. It, his handicap, he gets a lot of crap out for Pebble Beach, like, in sandbagging and things like that. It's not, it's, his handicap is 100% legit. He could be really good. It's just that Pebble Beach, he never has to hit that driver. He can hit that iron off of the tee all the time, and he's plenty long. He never gets in trouble, and that's why he and Streels are so tough to beat out there. Yeah, you know, they've won two Pebble Beach Pro-Am titles, one of which he left for six holes because he's a man of his word. Yeah. It was Larry Fitzgerald bobblehead night back in Phoenix at the hockey game. He had to go, leaves his man Streels for six holes, comes back, Streels holds on, and they get the job done. But so cool to talk to him. Obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best wide receivers to ever play the game. Um, shocking to me, you know, he's a, grew up in Minnesota. You know, he's a big deal up there just like he is in Phoenix. Goes and meets one of the biggest musicians of all time, Prince. 
gets big timed a little bit. Yeah, just when you think you're a big boy, you know, when you're one of the big deals up there, you ain't big enough for Prince. And then how about Michael Jackson, too? Shockingly, uh, Michael's doing some weird things the first time he met him. But, yeah, the dude's pretty much been everywhere and seen everybody, but uh, they don't get any better than him, man. They they, they, they really don't. And you'll notice when we when we asked him some questions, we kind of gave him some some room to run there about his about his career. The, the, didn't close the door just yet, so I guess he said TBD up until this that, point, but he didn't he didn't close it. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if Larry is back on the football field or if he'll be spending every day on the golf course because nobody plays more golf than Larry Fitzgerald. But really, really fun to sit down with him. And Sleaze, now it's time to get to our favorite part, the gambling, which the Masters, it went okay for you. Not great, but um, I keep it separating myself a little bit disappointing disappointing end on saturday afternoon before the rain delay i was like this leaderboard is ridiculous this is it it's going to be one of these guys and then hideki went this way he went up the leaderboard right after the rain delay and my guy had a little tough stretch so yeah um, i'm sure he's not thrilled with his finish but yeah t21 for justin thomas and then you got bring in jordan speeth right after the dub and he backed it up with a little third Yep, he played very, very growing. well. Growing, that and, lead's growing. You know, you, in these major championships, you got to finish high because the purses are so big. Producer Mark, how are the standings looking now? Yeah, I don't think anyone caught a worse break from the weather than Justin Thomas. He ended up collecting still $119,600. So uh, we have that. And then, Colt, you obviously had Jordan Spieth, cool for 667 oh hundred thousand dollars so that brings the lead up to one million six hundred thirty two thousand two hundred and four dollars i like it just need a win just need a win and a missed cut there the bogey bogey finished by, by our guy jt didn't didn't quiet when you get up there in the top that's a lot of money but you know what i mean short uh long season coming up so plenty of time but i am in a mayday situation. every week you say it's a long season it's Eventually, it's going to be a short season. season. That's what you got to keep telling yourself. You keep saying all the bullshit cliches over and over. Long season, one shot at a time. Stay in the moment. You just convince. You just brainwash yourself into actually believing. Well, I just got to get this thing to the house. But we're on to the RBC Heritage at Hilton Head, one of my favorite golf courses that I've ever played. It's so unique, so cool. Got a great field. Got Dustin Johnson in the field, Colin Morikawa, a lot of top players, you know, coming for a more of a relaxing week after the Masters at Augusta National. And I have the honor, thanks to Jordan Spieth. And, you know, the, this place has some of the smallest greens on the PGA Tour. It requires great ball striking. And in 2020, this guy finished tied for third. He's one of my favorite guys to watch. He might lose his shit every once in a while, which I know we enjoy. But I'm going to go with Turl Hatton this week. Mm. Turl. Love Turl. Love Turl. Very good spot for him. Hard to find a better iron player. All right. Going to need Turl to have a bit of a bad week for the kid here. All right. I've been debating on my pick between two guys. Tell you who I was debating, and then I'll tell you who I took. I got Kevin Kisner on the one hand over, over yonder. I got Daniel Berger on the other hand over yonder. Both good picks in my opinion. However, I'm going to go with Kevin Kisner, all right? And he's coming off a miscut at Augusta, shot plus five. I'm not sweating that. He's going back to a place much better suited to his game than Augusta National. Straight driver, great putter. He's got a playoff loss here to Jim Furyk. Uh, finished top 11 in three of his last seven starts here. So you go horses for courses. Maybe he's a little fresh after taking the weekend off from Augusta. Go down to Hilton Head. 
He's a South Carolina boy. Go get it done. Give me some chicken. Move me up this thing and get it, get it a little tighter. That's the goal. I love that you picked him. Okay, is the pick submitted, Producer Mark? Is it, is it official now? Actually, I was just joking about that based on this next information I'm about to nope. get. Pump fake. I need to know if the pick is locked in. Is he pending, injured? No, 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 no. an injury or withdrawal. Zero injured. He okay, is pending. Pick, pick I said it. Pick. I said it. Pending injury or withdrawal. What's the inside well, scoop? He had, a, he had a rough week at Augusta National. He's had the same putter for a very long time. He's said to me and many others he would leave his wife before he leaves that putter. And Friday after the round, the putter got broken in two. So might have a new wand okay. bad news. in the bag That's this week. Bad news for the wife, too. <laughs> but uh, Kevin Kisner is going to be making a putter switch, I'm guessing, because that one, I saw a picture of it, and it was snapped beautifully. But uh, good luck to you this week. <laughs> Kevin Kisner. That's all right. That's all right. Those things go stale sometimes. You got to put them in the bench. You got to put them on the bench for a little bit. I get that. Bring him some new meat. You know what I mean? Let them know they're not invincible. It's not, I mean, it's not ideal news if you really think about it, but uh, I'm still okay with it. Just go do what you do, Kev. Come on. All right. Well, before we get to next week's episode, Sleaze, we got to tell everybody, thank you so much for our merch debuted last week during the Masters. Y'all loved it, obviously. Sold a ton of them. You got another one on right there, the Birdie Juice with our little, our little birdie that likes to get amongst it. Make sure you go to that golf.com pro shop, pick up, pick up some swag. We've got a lot of cool stuff and more coming on the way. And next week's Lee's, we got not a, not a rival. He's our friend, but he also does a podcast. You're probably very, very familiar with him. He's Riggs from Barstool's Foreplay. He sits down and gets amongst it with us. Yeah, I'd say frenemy, you know, friends. We're in the same arena, but frenemy, there's a mutual respect. We go tit for tat. We're both men of the law. A little sun, always sunny reference there. Um, it was cool, man. Like, I, 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 clearly, we all know about foreplay and, and barstool sports and stuff, but kind of getting the background on how he got into it and all that stuff, it, it was fun sitting down with him and getting to, getting to know him a little better. Yep, you're not going to want to miss it, but that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you on next week's Golf Subpar. Subpar.